Welcome to the podcast. We do recover with Jared Miller, your host. And I'm Dr. Terry Sellers, your co-host. This is a podcast about recovery from addiction. We want to talk about what successful recovery can look like. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. Welcome to episode 95 of We Do Recover. It's been a minute since we've done this, Sean. It's been like three weeks. I was, I, you going to get on the mic at all or? Yeah, yeah. So, so we had a little little scheduling <laughs> conflict last week, buddy. You've been busy. How's Tennessee? Well, I had to, I had to fix. I had episode ninety four, and now it's, I had to fix it to ninety five. Perfect. So you're talking to me, but I'm trying to do my job. I know. I, I know, realize it's, it's hard, that. man. How was Tennessee? How was Tennessee? It was wet. It was rainy. It was humid. It was nice. It was fun. It was green. Oh my gosh! I didn't realize how much I enjoyed green. Green is a beautiful color. You're going to experience some colors tonight. What you got going on tonight? Oh, that's right. I'm DJing the Pride Drag Show over at the uh, Dixie Convention Center. My guy. My <laughs> guy. That'll be a fun time. Some people so that's not, some people said, "Hey, that's not that's not exactly my crowd." I'm like, I mean, "You know what? It may or may not be your crowd. It's a lot of fun." Right. It's a lot of fun even though if it, it's just if it's not your thing, you still come out. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like it's going to be a blast. I'm excited for you. You coming? Well, I, hey, Put I got to talk to the wife. Yeah. I got to yeah, talk yeah. to the wife. That's what I thought. <laughs> Listen, today we're talking about living louder. And to help us talk about living louder, I've invited on Portia Louder. Portia, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. You're fresh out of four hours in the car. <laughs> I am. So I'm glad to be here. Yeah, yes. you're a champ. Thank you so much for making this happen. Yeah. For those of you that don't know, the reason why we're going with living louder is the, the topic today is because that's the title of her book. Portia has written a book, A Compassionate Journey Through Federal Prison, and the title of that is Living Louder. She was so nice to bring me a copy today. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And for those people that don't know her, we're going to dive into in part one and kind of get to know her and her story and what the federal prison thing's all about. Right. <laughs> I, I have a feeling this is a podcast about recovery from addiction. There might be a little bit of, uh, little bit of that in there, so I'm excited to get to it. Before that, though, episode 95, part one, is brought to us by our amazing sponsors, Steps Recovery Centers. Step Re- Steps Recovery Centers is here to help you or a loved one get help as soon as you make that decision to get help. Get a hold of them by calling them at 801-800-8142 or go directly, directly to their website. That's stepsrc.com. They have everything, inpatient, detox, inpatient, outpatient, aftercare. They have a, an amazing alumni group. Definitely uh, get a hold of them, give them a call. We appreciate them sponsoring this podcast. As well as Rise Up Supplements. Rise Up Supplements is a, nut- is a nootropic company that's all about helping uh, people with mental health. So we got two formulas that we're, that we're rolling with so far. The first is going to be mindful mood. Mindful mood helps decrease anxiety and enhance your overall mood. It's a, it's a, it's a feel good one, right? And then we have mind shift. So mindful mood is the, the blue bottle. Mind shift is the red bottle. Mind shift helps increase focus and optimizes brain function. Right now, if you go to our website to check out either one of those, give those a try. They're brand new products. At checkout, you type in try 20 to save 20% off your entire purchase. That's try 20. We appreciate them sponsoring this podcast. Right. It might be me and my wife's company. <laughs> it might be, yeah. I've heard good things. So Yeah, yeah. We'll have to get you a bottle. Which one would you be interested in trying? Um, the first one, the feel-good one, because yeah. I'm an addict. So the mindful mood, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Who doesn't like to like chill out and relax a That's little? That's right. You know? Yep. Yeah, it's good stuff. Have you ever heard of Lion's Mane? 
Uh, yes, I have. Some ashwagandha. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's it's right. Got a lot of really. I pay good a lot of dollars for a little teeny bit of that. Yeah. <laughs> At the health it, food store, so this is great. Yeah, it, ours is a su- it's organic. It's super pure, super potent. Comes all the way from China. So awesome. yeah, it's good stuff. Well, let's get into this. We usually start off with new and goods. We've already got Sean's new and good. I'm fine. Thanks for asking. <laughs> he ditched us last week to go to Tennessee. <laughs> totally fine. Let's get your new and good. What's you know what is life in recovery brought you today? Oh my goodness. Um, new and good. Well, what's new is I'm getting ready to move and that's a change for me. You know, I found that I am kind of like, and I think prison helped this. I really like things not to change. Like I like the structure and the consistency and, and so, yeah, yeah. yeah, It brings like the safety in and then I can do all the other things that I want to do, but this is, it's, it's going to be good. Like I've been I've kind of pulled out of moving a few times, and so this is this is a good change. So um, where are you moving to? Well, I'm I've lived in Highland. <laughs> other, you know, I've lived in Utah my whole life, other than when I was in prison. And when I was in prison, I was in Dublin, California, so like Oakland, and then I went to Minnesota because I was in federal prison. So, um, so Utah is my place. I've done some traveling because I was also a wedding photographer, and I went to different destinations. I am moving from Highland that's been our family place for 20 years, to Saratoga Springs, which just by the lake. So Sounds beautiful. It Not is. Not real far, though. A little hop, skip, and jump away. Yeah, but for me, it's like a huge change because <laughs> I love my neighbors. I'm going to love my new neighbors. It's going to be great. Yeah, that's so, awesome. That... That's new. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I am doing all the things I love to do. So that is what's good. I get to speak to people and share my experiences, and I get to work with People in addiction and kids that are struggling, um, youth and a lot of kids that are in and out of foster care and do things that I'm really passionate about. So that brings me a lot of a lot of joy and meaning. And I've got grandkids and kids and that brings a lot of joy and meaning too. Isn't it so cool when you're like mess becomes your message, your junk becomes your joy. Yeah. You take the things that have once broke you and felt you made you feel like you weren't whole and that's your passion now, right? Like that's, oh. that's incredible. Yeah. I, I remember, um, talking to a group of people that were addicts recently. And I just said, you know, what's crazy, like all this garbage that we're going through ends up becoming our asset. When we get sober, your story is what gives you credibility to help somebody else. You're the person, you're the guidepost to say, I did it. You can do it. You know? And I think that's so beautiful. And the life lessons, right? Right. Like today. So I, I sold my truck to start the supplement company. And a lot of people were like, dude, you're crazy. Why are you like, <laughs> Who does that, right? Take all the equity out of, you know. And we You're like, I'm not living in my truck, so we're good. I'm like, listen, I've been homeless. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? Like, I'm not scared of much today because right. I, I had some hard life lessons that I That's learned right. early on. Mm-hmm. I'm not afraid of risk, you know. Like, yep. as long as I got my wife and as long as we got a roof over our head, That's awesome. I'm cool, you know. Yep. As long as I'm not slamming, yeah, you know, yep. garbage the and stuff, with right? gutter water, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, life's good. Cool. So my new and good is one of our friends, mutual friends. Yeah. Terry Sellers, AKA the doc. Right. My new and good is that guy is presenting at the fall conference. That's why he's not here today. He was really bummed to miss your episode. Just so you know. Yeah. I love Terry. I mean, we met a few times and he's, he's a great guy. You guys both serve on the committee for the sobriety foundation. That's right. We're both board members. Yeah. Just so people know, too, the Sobriety Foundation is an amazing foundation. I'm sure Terry shared this, but we offer 
um, grants to people that can't afford sober living. So when they're getting out of treatment, um, they can go apply with the sobriety of foundation.org. And I love the work we do. It's yeah, beautiful. They're amazing. So, yep. Yeah. We've had their, uh, Oh, Susan Peterson came on and shared yep. her story and talked about it and stuff. So yeah, it's good stuff. Great stuff. Yep. Good for you, Dr. Sellers. I hope you knock it out of the park at your, I guess, little speaking event he's got going on. The is fall that conference. at the AA regional in Salt Lake or is that at? So it's the fall conference for the like providers, Oh, okay. you know, like all the substance abuse, yep. um, field, you know, I, I'm acting like I know. I really don't know. <laughs> it sounds good though, right? We'll roll with it. We'll roll with it. Oh. All right, Portia. So listen, we've gotten to know you a little bit. You got some exciting stuff going on in your life. Let's hear for the people that don't know you and haven't heard your story. Yeah. Where does it start? What's federal prison all about? How did you get to be this amazing person sitting in the room with me today? Yeah. <laughs> my only role models went... Wait, all my role models went to prison. Right. Nice. I like it. You know. That's a t-shirt she's rocking if you're listening right. to the audio. And I mean, Jesus, John, Peter, you know, Daniel, pretty good company. I met a lot of cool people in prison, so I'm pretty passionate about that. Like the way people see people in prison to me is so not true. Where like, does that journey start, though? So the journey starts, um, well, I grew up in, in Utah in a small town in Richfield between here and Salt Lake. That is a small town. Small. Yeah. And my parents took it to a new level because my parents were kind of the conspiracy peeps back before it was a thing. I love it. Yeah. So we like hippies. We grew out, grew up out in the country, played hard, um, really nonconforming. And so by the time I was 13, I was like, oh, I'm all going to do what I want to do. You know, mm-hmm. first problem is boys. Then it became alcohol. And and then I was pregnant when I was like 17 years old. So I started out as a single mom. And um, gosh, I look back at myself and go, oh, you poor girl. Like you just didn't know who you were, you know. And so um, I ended up getting. What do you mean by that, though? Like that interests me, right? Because yeah. you said you that poor girl, you just didn't know like who you were. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Well, I didn't know my worth. Like I didn't know what I was capable of doing. I didn't have dreams. And I mean, yeah, like I hadn't really even left that little town. Do you think that around that age, the alcohol and the boys and and all the, you know, craziness that that comes with teenage hormones and and just wanting to fit in and be accepted? Can you look back and go, maybe if I just would have known my worth, I wouldn't have had to feel like I had to be so accepted. And the fear of the fear of being ostracized when you're a teenager is like the worst thing in the world. Right. Right. Did a little bit of that play into your story of addiction? I think so. And I mean, the lack of conformity in our home made it difficult for me to deal with the structure in school and I just to focus and all of that. And, and it was the one thing I could do, you know, and, and be fun and have a good time and kind of stand out in was, the boys and the alcohol, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I get it. I get it. And, and I, when I say that, I just, you know, I've met so many girls at that age now that I just want to put my arms around them and say, do you have any idea what your future could be? Mm. Because at my age now I want to, I'm like, if I would have known what I was capable of, like I would have valued myself. I would not have let anything get in my way because that's how I feel today. But I didn't know. And it took it took really a lot of hard things. I mean, initially it took another pregnancy, then another pregnancy, giving that child up for adoption. So like I was a single mom, two kids, gave a child up for adoption, and then I hit drugs so hard. Like I went from pain Around pills. Around what age is this? Um, I started, so my I, I became addicted to pain pills 
for the first time, I remember when I was about 22, I broke up with another, another relationship. And I remember on my way home from, from our split, um, actually, I think we were living together at the time and we just went our separate ways. And my son, and this still just makes me kind of sick. Like, I don't know if I've shared this too often, but he said, Hey mom, when do I get to have a dad I'm going to keep? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember pulling the car over and I just sobbed. And then I think I drove to my parents' house and I had a bottle of Percocet. I had never abused him because I just had him for headaches and I, I would drink and stuff. But I remember thinking I kind of had a headache. And as soon as I took the pill, it just, I was like hooked right away. I just started using, I used all of those and then I went and got more. And then I started looking for them from other people and in cupboards and because it numbed out that pain. Um, I got pregnant with my third child and my addiction in comparison to later wasn't as severe because I remember I was able to quit, um, which wasn't always the case for me. You know, I sure. mean, so I was able to quit. Listen, and you're talking to another, another yeah. opiate addict. Yeah. I, yeah. I you get, get it. it right. I, totally I mean, it was it. just a few Lortab, like right. maybe eight or nine a day, like compared yeah. to what it got to it was very mi minor. Right. <laughs> right. It, yeah. Which some people think is huge, but I'm like, Oh no. So, um, I mean, it's, there's a little bit of discomfort with that level of, intake, Oh, it wasn't but, fun, but it's but not like you're yeah, wanting to yeah, die. Yeah. Right? I mean, you know what I'm talking about. I totally get yeah. it. Yeah. No, I had, yeah, I came off some hardcore drugs when I went to jail and it nearly killed me. So I get that. But at that point, um, after I had David, the son that I gave up for adoption, they prescribed pain pills and I went from pain pills, like hardcore pain pills to methamphetamine really fast and hit the streets, which I know really? seems strange because I had never seen it or been around street drugs. Really wasn't like a pot smoker or anything. I had a job. I, I mean, but my cousin came to the house and he had some and I tried it and I was like immediately hooked on that. And so it wasn't like, okay, because listen, I, I work as a substance abuse counselor and let me tell you something I hear all day long. We call it poly substance abuse, right? I was on opiates I knew they were a problem. I couldn't kick them. Didn't want to go through the withdrawals. So I hit math. So I start. You, you just said it. So I started using math to right. Like in in. Listen, when we're addicted, our frontal lobe is not working. Right. We do not make rational decisions. Right. And but the the for the listener of this, it's a terrible idea, because now you're addicted to multiple substances. Yeah. No. It it doesn't work out. Um. For me, and I also work in treatment, so I get to see people coming in. There's such a psychological, um, oh, it's it can really mess you up. And it did me. Mm. It didn't take long. Um, I hit a low. I really only used for a year, used meth. Mm -hmm. And then I hit a low that I was gone to drug houses all night, every night, leaving my kids with my mom, lost my job. But, you know, the no longer deal. a functional addict. I was no longer functioning on any right. level, right? Yeah. Um, I was lying and stealing and doing the things you do with drugs, with methamphetamine or probably any drugs, but it had gotten much more extreme for me. And the, the people I was hanging out with were, you know, we were all in it together and I came again, it's my kids. And I think I'm grateful that, you know, that I, at least that, that affected me the way it did. But I came home late one night and my son had been crying all night for me. And my mm -hmm. mom was just standing at the window and she looked at me and she goes, is if this isn't enough for you, nothing ever would be. He has been crying for hours for you. Nothing else. He doesn't want anything else but you. 
if this isn't enough. And she just walked off. It was like she had given up on me. And I, I think, um, which I mean, she has a valid point. Oh, for sure. And, and the other thing that happened for me was I kind of had a lightning bolt moment where I could see, cause I always thought I'm going to get clean. I'm going to get clean. I'm going to kick it. I'm going to be a good parent. I'm going to get it together. And then all of a sudden I realized like no time is easier than now. Like it's only gotten harder. It never gets easier when you think a week from now, a month from now, it never does. And I walked downstairs and my little boy was with me and I just laid on the floor and sobbed. And I just begged God. I said, I will do anything, anything to change my life. I'll never date a guy again because I know I have a problem with picking the wrong men. I'll never date a guy again. And I will, I just don't want to hurt my kids anymore. I don't even care if I'm ever happy again. I will walk away from every person I know. And it was like my promise, you know? Yeah. And Sounds like that was your true rock bottom. It was my rock moment. bottom. Well, and my son is like, mom, why are you crying? I mean, here's my little boy been waiting all night for me. And I said, because I'm so ugly because what I've done is so awful. And he's like, mom, you're so beautiful. And he mm. walks me over the mirror and he goes, look how pretty you are. And I was just like, yeah, this is never going to happen again. You know? And it was, it was the hardest thing. Oh, I'm yeah. telling you, like the next day I walked over to a neighbor, asked for help that I knew, knew something about the program. I didn't know anything about the program or recovery, but I knew he might be able to help me. And he started getting me in the mix. I went to my first AA meeting. I was- Thank goodness for that neighbor oh. too, right? Oh yeah. Because here in the state of Utah, I know we have listeners all over the country and some internationally. It, the culture here in Utah is such that we just don't talk about it. Yeah. Or at least it, it has, it's been that we just don't talk about it. We're getting, getting better, better now. Yeah, right? it's getting better. And so it's, it's hard because if you're in the depths of addiction and you want help, you're almost afraid if the I same. turn to the wrong person, I'm going to be judged. I'm going to be yeah. ostracized. I'm I was be... so low though. <laughs> you know, sure, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was so desperate. I, I talked to another girl recently. And... But when you said that you knew that he yeah. knew about the program, like, had you seen him in a fellowship meeting? Like, how no, did you no, know that he no, knew about No, I didn't recovery? know him at all. Um, I knew he knew my parents, and he had mentioned that he could offer some help. Cool. And Yeah. And so... Because I think back on my story, and it's like, there were so many times that I was ready to be done, mm -hmm. but I had no Nowhere resources. Yeah. We knew nobody. My, my family knew nothing about addiction, right? right. And so it's like... You, you can only go to the ER so many times, <laughs> right. right? And you'd think that they would give you better resources and maybe today they do. But back when I went, it was yeah. just like, well, you're not dying, get out. I remember being so shocked when I walked into my first meeting for a variety of reasons. One was I was like, oh, I have a different problem than I thought. <laughs> like, I just thought that I was the weakest person on the planet because I would make all these promises to myself that I couldn't keep. Sure. I mean, you just I thought just, it was will, willpower. Yeah, I thought it was willpower. Sure. So I kept, like, I actually had left the state for two weeks to go stay with a family member. And then I came home and within 24 hours, I was back at it. So I was like, what is wrong with me? I mean, I, I'm a pretty, what is wrong with me? Like, I can't. I just knew I was licked. And... So the things that surprised me were, one, they had like this plan. Some guy in the front of the room said he was two years sober, which was miraculous to me. Oh, he's lying. <laughs> That's what I thought every time I heard that, right? That dude's lying. There's, There's no, no way. way. <laughs> <laughs> no, I believed him because he said things that only 
he would know if he had been down the road. I was down. Like, all the promises he made, all the dr- the alcohol that he dug up and hid and pr- lies sure. and all that. And I was like, uh, I mean, it was actually all the crap he'd been through that made me trust him, right? But but for that first moment, right? <laughs> no one has you, two years sober. I can't get a day, Yeah, like right? that doesn't even compute in our minds right. when, when we can't even put together two days. And this dude's yeah. saying he's got two years. Yeah, but he was lit up like you are. He had light in his eyes and face. That's sobriety. You you don't get that using drugs. So I For did sure. know there was something up. Plus, they were all genuinely happy in that room, and they were being honest, something I hadn't experienced for years. Right. I was like, whatever you're doing, I want a piece of that, you know? And this, the thing that really, I guess, caught me, too, because, you know, we have shared experiences, um, is, like, when people talk about the craziness, and you, like, look around, like, they're really talking about this stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, they're talking about stuff I've lived, and that... <laughs> It's almost like that's how you vet them, right? Yeah. Is And not only that, but I could never imagine in the circles that I ran with previous to my addiction ever talking about some of the stuff that gets talked about. Right. Which in, in a weird sense makes you feel like I'm not so bad. I'm not the you don't only feel one. feel alone, right? right? Universalism, right? Like yep. we've all experienced something similar. Yep. No, it... Um it was a huge blessing for me to find this group. They were honest with me. One guy is like, you're the most selfish person I've ever met. You know, I mean, yep. they tell you the truth. Oh, yeah. And um, they told me the basics to do. And I was like, I was so desperate. I didn't trust one thought I had anymore. I knew I had failed so epically. I was like, okay, so hold the door for people. Read the step. Like, they just gave me the play-by-play of what yeah. to do. And I still felt so discouraged. It just seemed impossible to climb out of the hole I was in. And it was amazing. Like it took time. I did. I craved the lifestyle. I craved the drugs. I used to drug dream. I used to, I just, but I, I, I had that moment that was so low for me that I was willing to keep fighting. And I think the other thing that's pretty big too, is like, there's something to be said about going from being a loner Mm-hmm. Right. Like when I was in my active addiction, I, it wasn't uh, woohoo parties. Right. You know, it wasn't like the movies like no. Hollywood glorifies it and glamorizes it like crazy. I was very much a closet addict. I was very much alone. I was very much socially isolated. Mm-hmm. And so when I went into the rooms and people wanted to get to know me yeah, and people wanted to hear my story and people cared about, you know, they would call me if I didn't make it to a meeting. Like there's something about being reconnected. Yep. And I guess that's where that saying the opposite of addiction is connection, connection right? But right. but you're right. It, it's crazy because you can be in the depths and all of a sudden you get some social connection and you're like, it's a different high. It's a different feeling. It's a different vibe. I want so bad. Every time I see an addict come in the door, I just want to put my arms around him and say, it's going to get so amazing. And I don't know how to promise you that where you are to this is going to happen. But I, I just, you can't even believe how much better you're going to feel and how happy you're going to be. And it's not going to be easy, but it's so worth it. I mean, I would rather die than relapse right now. I mean, I, and not just because I don't want to hurt people because I have so much hope in my future. I'm like, that would just be tossing my life away. You know, it's terrifying. Absolutely. So. Not only that, but I am also afraid of the loss of feeling in control. Like I've kind of become <laughs> a control freak, right? And so like uh, the feeling of not being in control of myself scares the heck out of me. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. So where did it go from there? You got into kind of the rooms. So you didn't I, go to a treatment center, a traditional I did not. rehabilitation No, center. I didn't know anything about treatment. I didn't, I mean, my parents didn't, I'm the oldest of seven children. I was like the first hooked drug addict in the family. 
Um, and you probably really didn't need much detox because you were just doing meth at this point. Yeah, I kicked the pills with the meth. I did. I don't don't try that at home. It doesn't right, work. <laughs> right. not, the, not the best. But yeah, no. But it, to say bad. you really just needed a sandwich and a nap for oh, a day or I two. Wish, when I say like, a nap, <laughs> a day or two. <laughs> what I need, I was so insane. I couldn't sit in there for five minutes. I had to walk out and have a cigarette about every three and a half minutes. Sure. I just couldn't sit still. I couldn't think straight. I couldn't talk. It's amazing how messed up my brain was. And that took time. Yeah. You know, took time to heal. Um, but within six to nine months, I felt a level of freedom I had probably never felt in my life because these principles work. And I didn't know how to live a principle-centered life AA is how I found principles. I mean, I guess other people figure it out without it, but this girl needed it. And I didn't know, I didn't have any kind of connection to a higher power. I found God in AA. I don't know? know that that's true. I don't, I don't know that it's true that people figure it out without it. I think that yeah. a lot of normies could use a 12 step program, oh. right? Yeah. Like, but it's just like, like my husband, I see some he's, people he's that, like a good guy. He doesn't need it. Like I do. Sure. <laughs> you know, and, and I get it. I get it. Right. But, yeah. but I, I've, I've met some normies and I'm like, your life's unmanageable. Yeah. You know, like you, well, you are powerless to that phone in your hand. Like, right. Oh, for sure. There's some principles there for sure that I think everybody could use. And we've only got 15 seconds left. Okay. For part one. Oh, well, this has we've been, been fantastic. Yes. We're going to get back to this. Your book's about your story, right? Yes. We're going to keep this train rolling as soon as we have this little 30 second break from our sponsors, Steps Recovery Centers, and then we're going to be back with Porsche. You are listening to We Do Recover with Jared Miller and co hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. We'll be right back after this short break with more of We Do Recover with Jared Miller, sponsored by Steps Recovery Center and the Hilton Garden Inn. We welcome you back to We Do Recover with Jared Miller co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. And now with part two of our podcast, Jared Miller and Dr. Terry Sellers. No Dr. Terry Sellers this week, just Jared Miller rolling solo. Not solo though, I have Portia Wilcox-Louder here and she's sharing her uh, story of recovery. We're going to get to her book. Um, I've realized, it dawned on me in this little 30 second break we had, that I just need to shut up. <laughs> Right? Like I've invited you down here to share your You're story fine. and I just need to pipe down and let you share it. So, so let me get the sponsorship mentioned out of the way and then I'm going to let you rock and roll. Okay. So episode 95 part two is brought to us by the Hilton Garden Inn. It's always sunny and bright at the Hilton Garden Inn in St. George, Utah. If you are planning a vacation to Southern Utah, or if you're just wanting to see some beautiful country, we got Zion in our backyard. Did I say that right, Sean? Close enough. Zion National Park. Uh, check out the Hilton Garden. Singular. Zion. Not Zion's. Okay. Zion. Thank you. You said you said Zion. It's Zion. Zion. I think it's Zion. Is it I Zion gotta or practice Zion? that. We're gonna yeah. practice that. Now you're messing me up. <laughs> Zion National Park. Anyways, check out uh, the Hilton Garden Inn in St. George, Utah. We appreciate them sponsoring this podcast. Okay, so Portia. Yep. I see the book. A Compassionate Journey Through Federal Prison, Living Louder is the title, by Portia Louder. Federal prison. We haven't gotten to federal prison. Oh, no. Not even close. So we're going to do a really quick wrap-up here. So <laughs> you, Listen, we got 25 minutes. It doesn't right, have to be too all right. quick. Well, I mean, but the prison stuff is, um, is, is good. I mean, I know most people don't think so, but I do. I, sure. I would like to share that. But 
Um, so yeah, I got sober and I had four and a half years of sobriety. And what happened for me is what happens to most four people. Four and a half. Four and a half years. I married my husband. I was not looking, by the way. I, I kept that deal. I was like, I'm not looking. <laughs> the deal you made with God? Yeah, yeah, I kept guy, the I deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm it. still so confused as to why he liked me, but he did. And so we, we got married. He seems like a great dude. I he's, met him yeah. 30 minutes ago. He's he's the best. Chad's great. And so um, he actually adopted my two kids and... At that point in time, I didn't have a relationship with the child I gave up for adoption. We have since um, reconnected and wow. it's been beautiful. But I started my own photography business and Chad was working in his career and we bought a house and we were doing life and good things happen when you're sober, right? Like yeah. you can do a lot of good things in four and a half years when you're sober and young and you have all the energy. <laughs> yeah, and, absolutely. Um, I was doing the mom thing and I was grateful because I knew the difference and for me, my business went from 20 to 40 to 100 to 200 weddings a year. Like, boom, boom, boom. And at about 200 weddings a Luxury year. Luxury problems. Yeah, well, they were problems because as an addict and still struggling with, like, the whole self-esteem thing, I couldn't, I didn't have balance in my life. Okay, yeah. And so, um, and I was feeling crappy that I wasn't as present for my kids. I had another, Chad and I had our first son together. After I had him, I had a back surgery. They prescribed pain pills. I thought I could handle it. It's not meth. It's not street drugs. And it took me a year to kick. It took a it took a toll. We started building a new house. I found out I was pregnant again. Wasn't expecting that. Obviously, I struggle with, you know, I get pregnant really easy. So, and I know that <laughs> everyone has their own thing. But for me. You wash your laundry together. Yeah, and all of a it's you're a pregnant, problem. Huh? So, I was like, they were like 18 months apart. So, here I have two little ones building a house. My studio's going crazy. I have employees. I'm working. I remember every morning up at four working. I would go start shooting as soon as the sun came up and I'm shooting till the end of the day. It was really it was so much. It was. Wow. Yeah. And. And hey, listen, photographers are expensive. Yeah. You guys are expensive. Uh, we had a wedding a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> and me and Matt, holy cow. Okay, we do a sorry, lot of I'm work, all the editing and everything. Yeah, yeah. But so, yeah, after I had Sadie, I relapsed hard and I ended up um, getting involved in real estate, thinking that that would solve my problem, right? Just more work. More work. That's all I need. I just need to do this to pay off the house so I don't have to do the photography and then I can be a mom. Like the whole time I could have just pulled back and been a mom, but I was, I had nannies and it was just a lot. And I remember when someone presented me with the whole equity you know, buy a house, flip it, raise the value, borrow more money, sell it to someone else. I'm like, I would never do that. And like six months later, a little more Oxycontin, I'm doing those A little deals. more Oxycontin yeah. later, you're <laughs> buying doing, a house. I, yeah, I'm buying those houses, pulling the equity, flipping, and I'm in the middle of a lot of those deals. And then the FBI showed up at my house and it was awful. It was scary. Nobody the, wants the, the FBI, FBI to show up at their house. Up at your house. They did. Wow. Yeah, they showed up. It's almost up. like Seller's story when the, I think it was the DEA or something. Yeah, I would hate that house. too. Oh, well, and I'm, not, like I'm not going to go out? into this, Were they but in I've like also black been on black dealt with SUVs the DEA and, too. Um, did they look like the Matrix people? No, you know these I mean? guys were really Mr. nice. Smith from the I mean, Matrix? I guess FBI agents aren't very friendly, but they had suits on these guys. I have met DEA too, so I know. I just always picture like when, when, 
Terry shares his story, and like as you're sharing yours right now, I said I was going to shut up, and here, here I am talking <laughs> again. But I just always picture, right, like an episode of The Matrix where like a bunch of Mr. Smiths just show up. That'd be cool. Wasn't that cool? Wasn't that cool? <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have like huge machine guns. No, and that ghosts happened. That flew that, with knives. Yeah, and you'll stuff. have to read the book because uh, yeah, I'm going to read I, the book. I, yeah, there were some machine guns involved, but it was later on. <laughs> so no, so for me. Um, I made the worst possible decision and denied the fact, you know, used every dime we had to fight, didn't take ownership of what where I was, charges? didn't get sober. i mortgage fraud, real estate fraud. Oh, really? Yeah. And it had nothing to do with the drugs? No. They had really? nothing to do with the drugs. Well, I mean, the drugs were, you know, Oh, the drugs judgment, were, yeah, but, but I was never, I wasn't charged for that. Got you. Um, I, I thought and, you were going to say you were like selling homes in Oxycontin at the same time. Or no, something. but I was, I was getting um, pills from... People in the in sure. real estate, and eventually I was called upon to work with the DEA to help with that, which I did and got nothing for. So I wouldn't really? suggest that. But I got sober. Well, not really. I got I got to Suboxone, okay. <laughs> which is still not yeah. sober because that was really uh, a nightmare to come off of. But anyway, it. So I had my little. I had a detour there. But so eventually, regardless of how much money I spent to try to fight and how much money I wasted and how much time I wasted, I walked into a federal courtroom. And the day that I walked into that courtroom, I knew that the judge was going to give me the maximum sentence. And I deserved it because I had handled everything so terribly. I had um, I had delayed it, drug it out, not faced it. And I could not face the reality of that until I walked in the courtroom. And then it's a very sterile, real place to be. Mm. Like everyone I've talked to that's been through this process goes, whoa, the courtroom was, you know, that it just tear it just. It levels you. It's That's when it gets real. It's when it gets real. Yeah. And I sat in the front of the room with my kids and husband in the back, and I just felt a level of sorrow I never want to feel again. And I knew before he gave me the sentence, he was going to give me seven years is what he, he sentenced me to in federal prison. Was that the max? Mm-hmm. That was I was facing max. zero to seven. So I thought like a year, I don't have a criminal Kurt. Right. Right. <laughs> I'm the girl. For, yeah. Right? No, 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 no. Like once I got in there, I was like, oh, yeah, I did this to myself. I mm. didn't really own that until years later. But so I was sentenced to um, to seven years and my whole life changed that day. I, I have never seen the world the same. I went I had eight weeks to say goodbye to my kids. So I they had, didn't they didn't just throw the handcuffs on you. They right were then going there. to. And I was not okay with it. Mm, <laughs> like sure. that would have been not a good way for my kids to see me the last time. And my husband actually stood up and he pled for me. I mean, my ju- the lawyer tried, but that wasn't going anywhere. The judge was like, nah, she's going now. But the my husband just said, please give her time to say goodbye to her kids, which was like super sacred for me to have my husband. After all, I had drug him through to be there and and I can tell you're getting emotional about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good for you, Chad. Yeah, yeah. He's he um he has been with me and with our kids through everything. And I just have so much admiration for him for that and love for him. So we drove, he and I, I said goodbye to my kids. Eight was that the later. hardest eight weeks of your life, though? <sighs> it was such a shock to me that I had cared at all about money. Like I was so surprised mm. at myself. It was, I didn't care about anything except every single little moment I had left with my kids. And it wasn't the hardest because there was so much more hard to come, but it was because I still was in denial about how hard it was going to be. <laughs> right. <laughs> until You've I never walked... even been to jail, right? No. Until Man. I walked into prison and I'm like, oh, 
like I felt devastated, yeah. just completely devastated. And it took me some time. Do you know Coach Blue Robinson? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's, he was like one of the one of the first guests on this podcast. Yeah, yeah. he's awesome. Great dude. Well, he I was court ordered to meet with him before. Really? I, yeah. And he says to me, I said, I can't go to prison. He's like, well, you might have to. I said, no, I can't go. You don't understand. This is before I'm sentenced. And he goes, Portia, it would be really hard to go to prison. But in prison, you could still become an amazing person. He said, that is not the case with addiction. He said, with addiction, you're separated from everything you love. He said, you could go to prison. You could still be a good mom from prison. You could still read and study and, and prepare and become an amazing person, which I thought to myself, whatever. Right. I'm not I'm hearing not trying you. to hear that. Right. <laughs> yeah. But it I doesn't got, matter because I'm not going. I'm not going, right? <laughs> and then I get to prison and I'm like, oh, what he said was like ringing in my soul. And I, and I made a list of everything I could do to become an amazing person. And that hey, guided me. My hat's know? off to him for planting that seed. Yeah. Right? It was because had he yeah. not planted that seed, who knows? Maybe you wouldn't have done as well as you did and well, worked on self-improvement and made the most of it. I think pain drove me. You know, pain drove me. Uh, accountability freed me. When I finally got to a place where I was just like, I'm so tired of feeling like I'm in prison. I mean, I am in prison, but I feel mentally. Yeah. I had imprisoned myself before I ever went because I wouldn't take ownership of where I was. And it was so painful to take a look and say, you did this, you did this to your kids, to yourself, all of it. And it was just, it's really hard, but it's the most freeing, powerful thing you'll ever do in your life to make that list, to take accountability. You can face anything when you own where you are, because now the future is yours. I chose this. I get to choose something different. As long as it's somebody else that did it to you, you're depending on them. I kept thinking the government owes me an apology. <laughs> I would have been waiting a long time for that if that's what I was waiting for to be free. Yeah. Never, never. So freedom had to come a different way for me. And by the time I was done with prison, I was truly free. I was free in every way. I was like, I don't even want to go. I mean, I wanted to see my kids, but I was. I felt so much love for the women I met, I mean, they'll have to read the book, but there's stories of these beautiful people that went through the hardest things. And I was honored and in awe that I was able to become friends with them and get to know them and hear their stories. We were like close. We were close. It's not like, like a the, family. It's like, yeah, you're going yeah, through the hardest yeah. thing. A lot of them don't have family. Right. And the crap they show on TV just isn't accurate. We we had fun and we were close and it was painful. And I spent a lot of time under a tree in tears because the reality of what I had done was very painful. But there was freedom in, in walking through that. I mean, I got four and a half years to work through my crap, which now I'm so grateful for. But at the time, I just, oh, it was hard to be separated. I'm watching my kids grow up without me, heartbreaking. Knowing I did this, heartbreaking. Yeah. But believing there was something to fight for because I was willing to own where I was gave me so much strength and power. And that's, I think, you know, for me, it's a big part of my message is, look, take your power back. Own where you are. Where you are can be your blessing, but you've got to find a way to own it. And and it worked for me. I love it. There's so much there. So when I share my story, a big part of my story in recovery was, you know, 
there was a book that I read called Extreme Ownership by Jacko Willingson Leaf Baven. Mm -hmm. And that book changed my life. Like I realized it's not like a recovery, right? Like it's not a traditional, like the big book or the basic text, but that book totally changed my life because it made me realize like, you know, I love my mom. She was a bit of a helicopter mom, you (laughs) know, like I would go, Hey mom, going to the gas station. (laughs) You know, if I was gone longer than five minutes, she'd call, Hey, where are you at? What are you doing? Right. And, and then it dawned on me, my mom's that way because I've trained her to be that way. Right. Like it, it's my fault. Yep. Right. Like, like she, she, every time I leave the house, she's having PTSD because of what I've put her through in the past. Right. The beautiful side of that, after you get over the feeling sorry for yourself part is if I have the power to train her this way, I also have the power to fix it. Yep. Right. And that's part of the taking your power back that you're talking about. Yep. Game changer. Changed everything for me. Yeah. I cannot, um, I mean, there's just not even words for it opened my soul. I didn't feel in conflict with people anymore. I wasn't trying to compete. I knew I was in control of my thoughts and that's a big deal in prison. Oh, if sure. you control your thoughts and your vision and what you want, because most of the time you feel like everyone else, you got, I got to watch for them. The officers, everybody's coming for me. This is so unfair. I'm, you're, it's the worst place to be. But when I'm like, shake down my locker, I don't care. Come into my room, do whatever you want to do. Yeah. And besides, right. And that was the other thing. I rebuilt my integrity in every way. Like my word counted, showing up on time counted. If I told someone I'd be there to help them with the resume at my $3 a month that I'm getting paid. I was so, I was more honest and on time and, and straightforward in prison than I've ever been because I, had so much value for my integrity. And that came in part because I could see that I was, I was free to rewrite my story. You know, once I got to the place where I realized everything I put on this list that I have done to own is I'm going to leave in prison. I'm not going to take it with me. I'm going to own it and it's going to be left behind. And I told the girls that I shared my list with that I was doing this. And then they started waking me up in the middle of the night, sharing their stuff. They were like, Miss Louder. I did this. I forgot to tell you earlier. And it was like, I'm like, yes. <laughs> and those girls are killing it because awesome. we freed ourselves in prison. And I think that that is available to anyone anywhere. Take ownership for your choices, where you are, and now you own your future. And I, I think that's just such a true and correct principle in life. So Yeah, there's, there's a book. I don't remember the name of it or who the author was, but there's a line in there that said, um, for most people, their thoughts are the source of their suffering. Right. Right. Like the story they tell themselves yep. about themselves, the story they tell themselves about the situation mm-hmm. is oftentimes more painful than the situation itself. Right. You know, how I contribute that to you is you could have sat there and just dwelt in the pity pool and felt sorry for yourself and kept beating yourself up and had those paranoid thoughts and, but you chose not to. Right. I got so sick and tired of feeling sorry for myself. I seriously did. I thought if I ever feel sorry for, like, I couldn't even stand it anymore because I did that for a couple of years. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. sure. <laughs> and everyone was doing it with me. And then I looked around and went, what? We are so stuck. It is not worth it. The payoff is not worth it. Where are we going? We're just sitting here wasting our time talking about how what a raw deal we got and how rotten everyone else is. And what are we doing to change our lives? You know. And what can we do about it right now? You're already sentenced. Yeah. I mean, the deal's done, right? It's over with. Well, you always have pipe dreams about that, too. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. yeah. We got about eight minutes left here. And I want to get into... so. 
at that point you were back to having four and a half, it sounds like years in recovery because you were in prison. Yeah. When I got out of prison, so I, yes, I had, you didn't do the full seven, did you? I did four and a half. So, I mean, I literally walked, I had to detox again. I had detox and then I had to detox. I mean, I just, my first day of sobriety is my first day in prison. So right now I have seven and a half years because I've been home for three. So, which is cool. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Yeah. How was that getting back to life and so back scary. to kids and right? Because yeah. like you grow accustomed to your daily routines. You I knew how to do me. I felt pretty good about that. And I'm like, how am I? I wanted to, and I changed so much, like the way boundaries and accountability and my whole view. I grew up in prison. Like I literally, you know, yeah. and then I'm, I come home to my kids and my kids are like, you're not the mom that left. We want that other mom. And I'm like, Ooh. no. Yeah. I actually, now she's had, gone sweetheart. Yeah. My, my <laughs> daughter, my 19 year old daughter a while ago, she said, I liked you the way you were. And it hurt my feelings. Cause I have put so much, you know, and she goes, I'm so sick of you talking about, you know, addiction or about your, you know, prison. And I said, Sadie, someday you'll understand the courage it takes to be open and honest. So yeah. I'm just trying to be the best version of myself to be a guide for you someday when you're ready. I said, I love you. And I'm trying to figure out how to connect who I was with who I am. Honestly, I don't even like the person I was. I mean, and she's like, you make it sound like you're just a big crackhead. I go, I was She's like, I don't want to hear that. You are my mom. My poor kids are warriors. They've really been through it. And I'm so proud of them. But it is not like it's not over. But then again, when is it like you could have done everything right and still your kids have to figure out their journey? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah. yeah, it's it's been three years and the first year, I mean. At what point did you start, at what point did you decide, was there a moment? So for me, the reason why Dr. Sellers is the co-host on here is I never shared my story. Like I wouldn't tell anybody, right? Heaven mm-hmm. forbid people know. And then I shared it with, he shared his story with me and so therefore gave me permission to share mine with yeah. him. And he's like, that's a great story. You should share that story. And I was like, oh no, what will people think? And then I started to, in the freedom that you're talking about that I got. Right. So what did that look like for you? Like, at what point were you like, I'm going to share who I really am. I'm going to be vulnerable. This well, to be honest, I think it came easy for me, probably sellers too, because I was on the news, the 10 o'clock news. He's such an instigator, isn't he? He's such an instigator. <laughs> but I mean, my thing is like. You if, were on the 10 o'clock news, yeah. really? Yeah. I was. So your story was out there. Yeah. My, oh, yeah. And I was gone for so long. So, like, I immediately, after the news that night, my kids were at world just sitting there watching me walk up the courthouse and they sentenced me and everything. And I decided I have nothing to lose. So I made a post on Facebook that said, I am devastated. I did not expect to get this much time. I probably deserved it. Please care for my husband and kids while I'm gone. And people were awesome. Awesome. And so I started writing. I mean, my heart was just tore up. And so I just started writing. I actually started writing on Facebook. And then people said, you should start a blog. And I started writing on a blog. And I went to prison and I kept blogging. So that's how I was able to write a book because I had so much content. So I was able to stay connected to my community. So I chose to be straightforward and honest. Right out of the gate. Yeah. And it, it was really awesome because I honestly felt accountable to my community and I really believed the world was cheering me on, which everyone in prison kept trying to convince me. No, I'm like, no, they really want us to succeed. People believe in us. And they did. When I got home, everybody welcomed me home. So not only that, but you were, you were, you, you took control of the narrative, right? Like had you not started writing, had you not 
shared your experience. It's right. open to interpretation. The only thing they have left is that 10 what o'clock the government news. Said. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. You it's know, that freedom of speech. I, that, and I thought, and I, and that was, I don't know why or how, but I'm super grateful that I chose that path. I highly recommend it. And it's one of my purposes besides connecting people to the humanity of people in prison. I want, I get people all the time that say, I feel liberated. Like all, I go to like the, to LDS book clubs and I speak sure. at the MTC and I speak cause I'm an active member of the LDS church too. So I speak a lot. If I'm going to a fireside this weekend, I speak a lot at those as well as addiction. And I work with people in, um, yeah, you're on fire. I mean, I, just, I don't think there's a podcast you haven't been on. <laughs> is, there, is there a speaking event you haven't done? <laughs> I don't know. You're on fire girl. I don't know, but I mean, I, I love it. I love it. Yeah. And what I love and when, when I talk to young kids or I talk to older women, I just say, you're free. You don't have to hide this. You are imperfect and it's perfectly okay. And it, and it gives people permission to be imperfect, you know, and to know that you can still have an amazing life and make mistakes. And so I think, I think it's good and I, I'm grateful for that. But the news kind of gave me my leg up. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it was a push for yeah. sure. Like, here's the deep end. There you go. <laughs> yeah. I remember Blue Robinson. He said, I saw you on the courthouse steps and they asked you if you were guilty. And you said, and he and I had talked about this. And I said, yes. And he goes, and I thought, don't say it there. We're supposed to be talking about this in group. You know, because <laughs> that was the bravest thing. I was like, well, it kind of pushed me into the deep end. So, you know, Portia, one thing that I really, that I love about you, and, and I meant all those things about the podcast and speaking events, and everything in the most respectful way, because I, I, when I thought I was going to do the speaking thing and I've been on a couple podcasts, I went to a speaking coach because I'm terrible. Right. And no, you're great. It, and she said to me, she almost offensively, she said, do you really think your story is that unique? Yeah. And I said, probably not. And she said, what's going to make you good. And this is what you got. This is why I'm telling you this. Oh. What's going to make you good is being able to share it in a tasteful way. Oh. Right. Like being able to, to articulate it and tell it in a way that's received, that gives you the warm feelings and not the uh, yeah. And every time I've, I've listened to one of the podcasts you've been, I've, I've heard you speak. It's always in a very respectful, tasteful way. So you do a great job Thank of you. sharing your, your mess into the message of hope in a way that is received really well. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. That. So we got about a minute left here. What's yeah. in the future for you? How do people get a hold of you? Oh my gosh. Well, they can reach me on um, LinkedIn or on Facebook, especially Facebook. I really try to message everybody back that reaches out to me. Um, I'm an admin on the Worldwide Unified Facebook page and they can reach me there. And I do speak a lot and I love to do it. And I have a whole bunch of things that are in the works too much. So we'll be, I'll come back next okay, year. We'll okay. talk about what I have going. Fair enough. I'm doing a lot in the criminal justice arena right now with people all across the country. So this next year, it's like, get out of Utah and go work with the people I love. And that's something I'm super excited about. Just don't bring yourself out. Oh, don't get overwhelmed, oh. girl. Don't start doing real estate. Yeah. And you know what I mean? <laughs> don't try to take on this so I don't have to do this so much. I right, know. Right. I so know. Living Louder, how do how do our listeners get a hold of a copy of Living Louder? Um, it's on Amazon and that's probably the easiest way. I also have like PortiaLouder.com, but Amazon's great. Perfect. Go check out her book. I'm sure there's way more in there than we were able yes, to cover today. There is. Thank you so much. Thanks for having Appreciate me. Appreciate you coming on. Yep. You're okay too, Sean. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today on We Do Recover with Jared Miller. Help us spread our message of hope. 
like, comment, and share. If you have any topics or ideas for future shows, please share that on our Facebook page. That Facebook page is We Do Recover with Jared Miller. If you or a loved one needs help, please reach out to us. Again, thank you for listening. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. This has been a production from A Podcast Studio.